0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, where were we? It's been a minute since we were together. Let's see, what has happened? Oh, yes, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, okay, we've had Thanksgiving. November is gone. We are about to lose 2020 entirely. Uh, I figured people would break out in applause on that one. (laughs) We're dealing with online school, remote work environment. Oh yes, Advent. We're in the middle of Advent as well. Oh, oh, and this 3,000 year old poem from the prophet Micah. As we've explored how to lose your purpose. Now this is not going according to my plan. I didn't plan to invite Micah to join us in Christmas time. In fact, we were supposed to be done with Micah before Thanksgiving so that we could launch fully into Advent. But as you know, we, I've had to endure the, the passing of my father, and if you'll indulge me, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it has been a long haul for our family. It's been 11 months since December 20th when he first went to the ER, When we had no idea what was going on. Finally diagnosed on March 13th. And he received his reward on November the 20th. And we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. But it has been surreal in every way. And so I just want to thank you. I I need you to know how much your prayers, your, your cards, your kindness, all the things that you have done have meant to me and have meant to my family that. Constantly are saying, Brady, you're in a good place. That's a good church. It's like, you're, you better believe it. This is a great family to be a part of. And so I am, and so is my family, forever thankful to you. So thank you for indulging me uh, and, and for all the leaders that have stepped up and stepped in to help. You know, it is pretty easy to lose focus, to lose purpose to get derailed whenever health fails, whenever these surprising and unexpected things come our way, when we have to deal with kids that are struggling in school or struggling with relationship, when we face the oppressive forces of our jobs, at times it's pretty easy to lose focus. It's almost like something gets thrown in the middle of our road and we are swerving to miss it, and then trying to gain control of the car so that we don't harm ourselves or the people that are with us in the car or even any of the vehicles that are around us. And we don't really need instructions on losing our purpose. That's kind of been the tongue-in-cheek way that we've approached this ancient prophet. We don't need instructions because When our emotions are having the best of us, when frustrations have us torn down, when we feel the isolation of COVID, we really don't need instructions in losing our purpose. As families wrestle with finances, as families wrestle with one another, we don't need instructions to try to lose our purpose. We're just trying not to hit that large, massive, jagged metal object that's been thrown in our world it's kind of like we get hit we've been punched this year punched in the gut and I don't just mean one of our stories I mean all of us isn't this strange that the whole world is going through this together we're facing this invisible punch well I, I have a question for you and it may be a strange one but if someone were to punch you what's your response punch him back (laughs) any other responses duck Duck. okay yeah yeah miss it way to go mary i don't know what you might do do you cower do you run away does it begin some kind of a brawl where it's not going to just be me but i'm going to take out as many as i can do you call the police do you call the medic? Do you call a lawyer? You know, there are times whenever we get punched like that and it throws us for a loop. There was a time in high school. Uh, our high school campus had open campus for lunch, and so I went with my friends to Taco Bell. Might be the last time I've been to Taco Bell, but we went to Taco Bell, and I'm standing in line, and there was a kind of a strange guy that was in front of us, and some people behind me were kind of poking fun at him and I asked him about moving up in line, and he just turned around and popped me. I was completely stunned. I mean, we're in a fast food restaurant. This is a public place. There wasn't any big altercation. He didn't hit me hard. I didn't bleed. I didn't break a nose or anything. I was just kind of dumbfounded, and I looked around. Most people didn't even know what had happened, and he just turned around. I, I think he was caught up in something that I don't know what. But have you ever been thrown for a loop like that, hit by something out of the blue that doesn't make any sense, and you have to think about how you're going to respond? In this season, it's a season of response. It's a season of thinking about where we've come from and who we're looking forward to. And in this season of Advent, we've been lighting a candle each week and Chris will be glad to know that we really know what this candle is for this week. It's got its own color. It's the one that's the most consistent. It's the candle of joy. The the, uh, the, the candle of welcoming joy into our lives, and it stands apart here in the third week of Advent. As we think about our series in Micah of how to lose your purpose, I'm going to just give you straight up the way to lose your purpose is to lose the sense of promise. To lose the perspective that the promise of joy brings. Now I have to tell you that the passage I'm about to read, and I'm going to have you stand for, doesn't sound so Christmassy on the front end, okay? But keep listening, because you will quickly realize how maybe God ordained it is that we've come to this passage at this time. So if you're able to, would you join me uh, in standing as we read the Word of God from Micah chapter 5. Now you are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. But you, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the littlest clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until that time when she who is in labor has brought forth the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and then they shall live secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He shall be the one of peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You you may be seated. Now it doesn't start off very Christmassy at all, does it? Maybe you've already forgotten it because you got caught up in how much it's a messianic prophecy. To start off by striking cheeks of Israel's rulers, to talk about being walled in with a wall, that doesn't sound like a Christmas story that I want to be a part of. But you know what? It sounds like the Christmas story we are a part of. To be walled in with a wall. Now, I think that phrase is kind of funny. To be walled in with a wall, it sounds a little strange. It sounds a little redundant. And I got chuckle, and you, as you look in modern translations, there'll be a little textual footnote that says, the Hebrew meaning is uncertain. Well, no kidding. Walled in with a wall, that's definitely uncertain. It's not what I want to be a part of, but it's where we're at. It describes our circumstance and our situation. Perhaps you might feel walled in by the walls of your marriage. You might feel walled in by the walls of your job. You might feel walled in by the walls of the choices that you have made. It's easy to feel walled in. Especially in this time, when bad news is chased by even worse news and tackled by further still terrible news, where funerals are multiplying, and when we can't even gather the way we want to gather, and to hug and to love in the ways that we want to show that love to each other. Well, I've got to jog your memory a little bit. In this first verse of chapter 5, I want you to remember the first verse of the whole little poem from chapter 1. Because in Micah chapter 1, we were introduced to four people. One prophet, whose name is Micah, and three southern Judean kings. Now that one prophet, Micah, his name means, who is a God like Yahweh? What a great name for a prophet. A name that communicates an obvious answer. Who is a God like Yahweh? No one. No one is a God like Yahweh. Well, I've kind of been teasing you along with these four kings, Jotham and Ahaz, and today Hezekiah, telling you a little bit more of the story, because as those successive kings ruled, the circumstances got progress- progressively worse, because whenever Jotham ruled, everything was fine. Micah sounded like a sore thumb. No one wanted to pay attention to that country preacher. It didn't make sense at all. By the time you get to Ahaz, one of the worst Judean kings of all, it begins to make a little more sense. When you get to Hezekiah, the people's own circumstance, their own situation was difficult. Hezekiah was marked as one of the finest kings of Judea. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, the finest of them. So even though his people, the people that he ruled, they're hanging by a thread, so to speak, being pressed in by Assyrian powers, Hezekiah was a good guy. He tore down those Canaanite Asherah poles, all of the sacred poles, went up to the high places where all of the pagan worship took place, leveled all the high places, began to rebuild the temple, and reignite fervor for the Lord that had faded mightily under Ahaz yet the oppressive powers of Assyria had him in their crosshairs and Sennacherib king of Assyria was making a barreling run toward Jerusalem he destroyed 46 walled cities you know we talked about being walled in with a wall well here comes Sennacherib he is using battering rams and ramps and siege machines and infantry, and he is wiping out all of these fortified cities that King Jotham had built up. And he gets to Jerusalem. He gets to the crown jewel. And it's time for him to not only take Hezekiah, but take the wall and destroy the temple. And something stops King Sennacherib. Something halts him in his track. Now, the siege ends, now, this is crazy, because even uh, the, the Assyrian records talk about Hezekiah being locked up like a bird in a cage. They had surrounded Jerusalem, they cut off all supplies, they were starving it out until they went in to pull it all apart. But they walk away, they leave. Why? That's a good question. Well, scholars and scripture point to the fact that a plague came in and took 185,000 of the Assyrian troops and it was enough to send Sennacherib back home now that's a terrible plague that's a plague that normal people in normal times would say that's a lot for us we're like well we're going to reach double that before we get to Christmas There are going to be about 350,000 people that have died from COVID before we can close this year we're dealing with losing 3,000 people per day, which is how many people died in the 9-11 attacks every day. This is affecting our lives in significant ways, and it was something, a plague, was something that God used to protect the temple, to protect Jerusalem. It didn't last a long time, about 150 years before The Babylonians came in and King Nebuchadnezzar did bring Jerusalem down. Which brings us to our little country prophet. This country prophet outside of Jerusalem predicted that the northern kingdom would fall and it did. And then 150 years later he predicted that Jerusalem would fall. And 150 years later it did come true. This little prophet. That's a hard story. It's not a great Christmas story. It's not one that we want to look at. But did you notice how much was in this passage that brings us to this time? The mention of Bethlehem. One of the smallest, youngest of the 12 tribes. Little clan. Ephrathah, the clan that David came from. Inside, you know, this old term for, for Bethlehem. This is a great story where the runt of the litter, becomes the ruler. Where an unexpected place of hope becomes a wellspring of joy and hope. It's very easy to lose our purpose when we forget what the promise is. And this promise comes on the lips of Micah in a time when it was hard to believe, when things were not going well, when joy was the last thing that anybody wanted. And this promise doesn't fix anything. It doesn't advise them on how to live differently. But it points them to the fact that God acts and God will act. And they can be certain and sure of that. From Bethlehem, this little house of bread, that's what Bethlehem means. No big fancy technology, just bread. No venture capitalists. This, this small little town of Bethlehem would be the place Whenever they heard that, they're like, oh, yeah, David, David. You see, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, they weren't going to win the World Cup anytime soon. They weren't even going to compete for the World Cup. Was there a World Cup back then? Oh, yeah, I bet there was. I'm sure that there was. But they were not in the running at all. They were on the outside, beaten down and small. But they hear these words from Micah, and they realize... We've got hope. Good things can come to us. And then Micah unveils the shepherd king image. Not just the place where this one will come from, but the shepherd king. Now, for Christians, we get excited about that image, but if you talk to an American and you say, the shepherds, hmm, that's not going to be a power image for most Americans. Can you think of any major U.S. university or any high school that has the mascot of the shepherds. <laughs> we are the shepherds, the mighty, mighty. Sh- no, there's just. Okay, okay, I did find one. There is a shepherd university. And you know what their mascot is? The rams. Okay, well, it doesn't quite make sense, but maybe it does. Ram feels a little more powerful than a shepherd. But in the ancient Near East, shepherd was a very common image for a king, for a ruler, caring for their flock. Shepherds were like MacGyvers, if you remember that old show, protecting, working magic in the wilderness to protect those sheep. Strong, powerful. And this is one that would not only protect them, but feed them. That's a beautiful image. Beautiful image of one who is a lover of animals. Again, we don't often think of that as a place of strength, right? Zookeepers are also not mascots. Pet lovers, not often mascots of strength. Yet this is the image that we're given of Jesus. It's easy for us to forget how much we are provided for and protected. And Susan even takes a a line from my sermon today. It's easy for us to forget How much we are provided for that we have no control over. The fact that we're born. The food that we have to eat. The place that we have to lay our heads. Even if that is eating in a soup kitchen. Even if that is struggling to find a bed in a homeless shelter. It's easy to lose sight of what a blessing those basic things are for us. It's easy for us to forget. To grouse and to complain. We have to look in unusual places to find joy and to capitalize upon joy. And so I ask you another question. Are you finding it easy to miss the joy that God intends for you? Do you find yourself focusing in other areas? Do you find your ears more attuned to the louder voices of despair and of death? God calls us and invites us to experience the joy he intends for us. God invites us to live with him and to choose joy. There's a company that almost went uh, out of business earlier this year. You've probably seen the Life is Good t-shirts. They just have dozens and dozens of different refrains that show up. Life is good. It's an it's an it's a optimistic way of looking at things. I, I've always loved these t-shirts. They're funny, they're humorous, and they point us to just looking for goodness. They, the two brothers that founded this country founded it with rational optimism on their mind. They wanted people to choose to be optimistic, to know that things are good, to recognize the goodness of the now, but to know that they can get better, we can move towards what is better. And I bring that up because I want us to think about joy in this way. Too often we we sacrifice our joy to how we feel. We think that joy is something dependent upon our emotions. Joy is not dependent, dependent upon our emotions. It's not even dependent upon our circumstances, whether those are good or bad circumstances joy is a choice it is something that we decide that we're going to live and embrace and embody we can choose in the midst of our suffering in the midst of our grief in the midst of parenting and working to see beyond the present moment joy chooses to live into the future that god has prepared for us and to let that future break into the now That our choice to be people of joy, our choice to be harbingers, bringers of good news of joy, brings that joy to the here and to the now. It's easy to forget our purpose, but if we keep joy in our crosshairs and we begin to look for joy in unexpected ways, it could transform us and change us. Even in this season, we're looking at an unmarried couple hanging out in a barn, giving birth to a baby in a food trough, nowhere even to go. God always is looking for insignificant people who are turning their hearts to Him and who are embracing the joy that He provides and gives to us. Here at First Christian, I can't turn around without finding things that overjoy me. Right now, some of the things that are, are giving me great joy are our groups. We have many groups that are meeting on a weekly basis that have met all the way through COVID, who have plans to meet whatever happens in 2021. And some of them you don't even know about. I think about Lisa Gallup, who has a very small group. She's had a lot of tough things that have been dealt to her and her family this year. But yet, this small group of women gathers around the body, the Bible on a regular basis to be the body of Christ. I think about Tom Harger, who also has a very small, small group. And that's a talkative group who focused in on what God is doing in their lives and how God is being revealed in Scripture and beyond. I get excited about our groups. And our decades-long groups, like Bud Cavins and Tom Headley's and Todd Zeters. These are groups with sustaining power that have continued for a long, long time and I'm even excited about what's happening and what's going to be happening in the new year as new groups begin and as uh, many groups get restarted in the first few weeks of January. More on that in coming weeks. I get excited when I think about our children. When I think about how diligently they are showing up for online school, how they deal with school closures, how they deal with obstacles that are thrown at them. It is not ideal. I get excited when I think about our teens and I see the ways that they are secretly reaching out to one another, making connections, not waiting for someone to call them, but to be proactive. Maybe following the lead of our older generations who are very good at calling and writing and reaching out rather than just watching online what's going on. Being the actor, being the instigator, the one that starts those conversations. And who couldn't? Who couldn't find great joy on a day like today when we dedicate babies? Yes, I know, it's not May. It's not Mother's Day. This is not when we normally do things. It's kind of been the the rule of 2020. But what better time for us to be looking at the arrival of God in the world, looking forward to the second coming of God in the world, and Welcoming the arrival of Jesus into our hearts and lives in the present moment. Will you choose to seek joy? It's going to take intentional effort on your part. There are things you can do. It's not all big picture things. It can be very practical things. What if you were to take care of your body this holiday season? Feed your body good foods. Get your body out on a walk for fresh air. To even bathe and clean your body. Believe it or not, you know, all we have to clean right now is this, whatever people can see. Go ahead and take a bath. Take care of yourself. What about this one? To find joy, could you find yourself out in nature? Going on a walk? Submersing and surrounding yourself in God's creation? So often we construct a world around ourselves, even in a building like this, that is of our own creation, full of human-made things. But when we get out in nature, we are connecting with what God has created. God's creation doesn't need batteries. doesn't need recharging. But it will recharge you when you are out there and still and breathing in the silence of God. What about simply just being kind? Everyone is so mean. What if you just are surprisingly kind to people, helping them out? Asking them if they want help, because they may not. may not want you to touch their groceries that have fallen. But how is it that you could be kind? That kindness might show up as generosity. You know, it's pretty easy if you go to pick up your food to think, well, no one brought this food to my table. They didn't, they didn't bring it to my house. I, I, I'm probably not going to tip as much. Brothers and sisters, this is not the time to be calculating our tips. We've got to round up those tips. We've got to take care of these service professionals whose jobs have been limited and restricted. Generosity has a way of improving the economy. And as believers in God, as people who are kind and as generous, we can affect the economy in that way. Joy is a choice. Joy is also a promise. And we are invited to join God in the here and now to serve the shepherd king. Who we know the end of the story. We know who it is. We know that Jesus comes. And his interest is not in just in one country or one nation or one plot of land, but the whole world. This bringer of peace brings peace to the whole world. And we can await confidence, following Jesus as closely as we possibly can, and being people who are emissaries of God's peace. May the joy of the Lord come into our hearts and be expressed through our lives this day and this week. Let's pray. God, we are profoundly blessed From the most alone to the least well off, we are blessed. And so we thank you for every good gift that comes from you. And we ask that you will help us to be people of joy. To not sit back and wait for someone else to show us kindness, but for us to show kindness and joy on our behalf, by our instigation. God, thank you for this church, for this family for what they mean to me and so many others, and help us truly be the family of God when we have to be apart from our families, when we have to be isolated and separated. God, we pray for the coming of your Son, and we pray through his name. Amen.